0: And welcome to the May 29th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd Scarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. A Southern California doctor facing 77 criminal counts of insurance fraud has attacked a new state law that prevents him and his medical groups from collecting any of their fees for treating workers' comp patients. In another federal lawsuit, Dr. Eduardo Aguizola claims an anti-fraud law that took effect in January violates his constitutional rights to due process and to hire and pay for his criminal defense attorneys. Plaintiffs include Vanguard Medical Management Billing, One Stop Multi-Specialty Medical Group, One Stop Multi-Specialty Medical Group in Therapy, and NorCal Pain Management Medical Group, medical billing companies, and other businesses connected to the doctor's practice. The sixth plaintiff is David Goodrich, the Chapter 11 bankruptcy trustee of another business, Allied Medical Management. 66-year-old Aguizola is a pain management doctor who has practiced in Santa Ana for decades. His lawsuit states that he is a highly respected in both the medical community and the Latino community for his work providing needed care to injured workers. But three years ago, he was one of 15 doctors, pharmacists, and business owners indicted on charges of defrauding insurers of more than $100 million for a very strong, even toxic, compounded medication. The Orange County District Attorney's Office also charged the cream's developer, Karim Ahmed, and two others with involuntary manslaughter in the death of a small child who ingested some of the cream. Prosecutor said Ahmed paid 35 to $72 for each tube of the cream, but then billed insurance companies 1200 to $1,900 for each tube. Ahmed allegedly paid about twenty five million dollars in kickbacks to medical providers, including two point three million dollars to Aguizola for prescribing the cream to patients. Aguizola has pleaded not guilty to all charges and estimates his defense costs in the criminal case to be about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. While the law ostensibly was designed to deny medical criminals fraudulent fees, these plaintiffs claim in the lawsuit that it is an attempt to keep doctors who face criminal charges from defending themselves in court. Plaintiffs claim the law represents a money grab for assets that are unconnected to any charged activity and intentionally cuts off untainted funds that providers need to retain lawyers. Chief counsel for the Division of Industrial Relations said that he is confident the law will be upheld. A hearing on their motion for a preliminary injunction is set in June before U.S. District Judge George Wu in Los Angeles. Robert Gravlin was employed by the city of Vista as a firefighter for 20 years. He filed claims for several injuries sustained during the course of that employment, including cumulative trauma injury to the heart and hypertension, and to his skin in the nature of skin cancer. He claims injuries were sustained from when he started working in 1975 until April 2002 the date he received medical information diagnosing hypertension with an indication of permanent disability and request for treatment. These ending dates were based upon the reports of QMEs in each specialty. So the disputed trial was to resolve issues raised by applicants' contention that one cumulative trauma case is properly applied to both the injury to the skin and the injury to the heart and the defendant's contention that there are separate dates of injury for the two injuries because of the anti-merger provisions of Labor Code Section 3208.2. The work comp judge accepted the applicant's contention and found one continuing trauma injury causing injury both to the heart and skin. The recommended permanent disability rating for the heart injury was 55%, and the skin injury was 35%. The two ratings combined for a single rating of 74% permanent disability. But reconsideration was granted, and the work comp judge's decision was rescinded in the split panel decision of Gravlin v. the City of Vista. And new findings indicated that applicants sustained two separate cumulative injuries to be separately rated. Labor Code section 5500.5 establishes liability for cumulative trauma based upon the date of injury as determined under Labor Code 5412 or based upon the last date on which the employee was exposed to the hazards of the occupational disease or cumulative injury, whichever occurs first. Here, the dates when the applicant obtained knowledge of the disabilities caused by his skin cancer and by his heart condition by reading the QME reports occurred before the last date of injurious exposure. Commissioner Newman dissented. He would have upheld the decision of the work comp judge for the reasons expressed in her report. Although applicant may have learned of the employment origin of those conditions at different times before he stopped working. The time period of injurious exposure and employment was the same for both conditions. A petition for review was filed in May in the 4th Appellate District of Division 1, and we will await the outcome of that appeal. Last December, federal prosecutors unsealed criminal information against former executives of Heritage Pharmaceuticals, which is a generic drug maker. Various state attorneys generals said the former executives of the company have agreed to cooperate with 41 states in their ongoing investigation and litigation regarding possible antitrust activity in the generic drug industry. And the case is likely to reverberate through the pharmaceutical world potentially impacting companies like Mylan, Tiva Pharmaceuticals, Citron Pharma, and two companies controlled by a pair of Indian billionaires, Emicure and Aurobindo Pharma. Jason Malik, Heritage's former president, and Jeffrey Glazer, its ex CEO, reached a settlement under which they will provide documents, testimony, and other evidence about the potentially sprawling scheme. The men will also pay each a $25,000 civil penalty to the states. The multi-state lawsuit alleges widespread collusion among a large group of pharmaceutical companies to reduce competition and increase the price of generic drugs. The two also entered into plea agreements with the U.S. Department of Justice after being charged with two counts of criminal violations of the Sherman Antitrust Act and federal authorities intend to use the two to crack open their big antitrust case against generic drug makers as investigations by states continue to examine a number of additional generic drugs and generic drug companies and executives. Myland and Teva are among the companies that have disclosed receiving subpoenas from the Department of Justices antitrust division investigation that seems poised to spill political heat into the generic drug sector. Malek and Glazer are also named in a RICO case filed by their former employer last year. The suit alleges that before they were fired, Glazer and Malek looted tens of millions of dollars from heritage by misappropriating its business opportunities fraudulently obtaining compensation for themselves and embezzling its intellectual property. Glazer and Malik accomplished this brazen theft by creating at least five dummy corporations, which they used to siphon off profits through numerous racketeering schemes. The U.S. Department of Justice and 28 states have reached an $8 million settlement this month with CVS Omnicare Incorporated, the nation's largest nursing home pharmacy company, resolving allegations arising from a whistleblower lawsuit. The feds allege that Omnicare, in an effort to increase profit, designed and implemented an automated label verification system that utilized a less specific drug code, known as MedID, instead of the more specific National Drug Code, or NDC. This system resulted in the submission by Omnicare of claims for generic drugs different from those actually dispensed to patients. The government alleged that the false manufacturer and the NDC information on the labels and within Omnicare's electronic dispensing information affected Omnicare's ability to properly track and, if necessary, conduct patient-level recalls of such drugs. The whistleblowers will receive more than $2 million as their share of the recovery and to resolve their employment-based claims against the company. CVS, in a statement, said the false submissions took place before it acquired Omnicare in 2015. Omnicare neither admitted nor denied wrongdoing as part of the settlement. But, with that being said, this is certainly not Omnicare's first run-in with the law. Last October, Omnicare agreed to pay over $28 million to resolve allegations that it solicited and received kickbacks from pharmaceutical manufacturer Abbott Laboratories in exchange for promoting Depakote for nursing home patients. According to the government, Omnicare disguised the kickbacks it received from Abbott in several ways. One of them was through supposed grants and educational funding through Omnicare's Review program. Omnicare claimed the program was a health management and educational program, but the government described it as simply a means by which Omnicare solicited kickbacks. In 2014, another lawsuit settled for $124 million that accused the company of offering kickbacks to skilled nursing facilities in exchange for their continued selection of Omnicare as the main drug supplier. The case originated in 2010 when a former Omnicare pharmacy manager, Donald Gale, filed a whistleblower case against the company. And in 2009, Omnicare paid $98 million to the federal government to settle five whistleblower lawsuits and government charges that the company had paid or solicited a variety of kickbacks. The charges included allegations that Omnicare solicited and received kickbacks from a pharmaceutical manufacturer, Johnson & Johnson. And now our crime report. Three family members and two doctors were charged with felony insurance fraud related to what prosecutors described as a $22 million urine testing billing scheme that operated through sober living homes in Southern California. Another family member was charged along with the first five defendants with conspiracy to commit medical insurance fraud. The charges were revealed two days after publication of Southern California News Group's investigation into the region's rehab industry, including the shady practices of some sober living homes and the excessive insurance charges some rack up for urine tests. The investigation revealed that fraudulent urine tests often performed by labs owned by the owners of the rehab or sober living homes were a main tool in the industry some used to build millions from insurance companies, and the article referred to chronic drug users as commodities exploited by a growing world of drug and alcohol rehab operators who put profit ahead of patient care. certainly not all rehab centers are fraudulent, but the explosive industry growth is remarkable. Malibu has 47 licensed rehab centers, but only a population of fewer than thirty thirteen thousand people, making it the city with the highest per capita concentration of rehab centers in California. Number two is Costa Mesa, with 102 centers and a population of about 110,000 people. And Pasadena, Murrieta, San Bernardino, Woodland Hills, Long Beach are all among the dozens of communities in Southern California where 10 or more rehab centers have opened shop. In all, the Southern California region is home to 1,117 licensed rehab centers, a number that does not include thousands of unlicensed sober living homes where addicts live as families. Prosecutors said Philip Ganong of Bakersfield and Pamela Ganong of La Jolla owned Sober Living Homes in Orange County, Bakersfield, Los Angeles, and San Diego and also formed a medical testing lab. They are accused of bilking four insurance companies, Aetna, Anthem, Cigna, and Healthcare. And prosecutors said the Ganongs hired and charged doctors Carlos X. Montano of Newport Beach and Susie Shooter of Corona del Mar who wrote unnecessary urine test prescriptions. The Ganongs and their son William Ganong of Bakersfield were charged with 13 counts of insurance fraud and the elder Ganongs also faced 26 counts of money laundering. Pamela Ganong's sister Susan Stinson of Carlsbad was charged with conspiracy to commit medical insurance fraud. A former doctor who had a practice in Los Gatos has been sentenced to four years in prison for involuntary manslaughter in a case involving a 29-year-old man who died as a result of a drug she prescribed. 74-year-old Jasna Mergen, M.D., ran a pain management clinic in Los Gatos, where prosecutors say she was writing excessive prescriptions for pain medications. Investigators from multiple law enforcement agencies began looking into her clinic in 2011 after one of her patients was caught selling the drugs she had prescribed. During the course of one investigation, she prescribed drugs to an undercover officer posing as a patient with foot pain without ever removing her shoe to examine the affected foot. With respect to the manslaughter charges, Mergent first saw the victim, 29-year-old Stephen English, in April 2010. Her medical records did not include a physical examination. (coughs) Excuse me. Mergent gave a diagnosis of acute back strain, wrist strain, status post old poorly healed fracture of the wrist and right-hand weakness. The only treatment plan was to take Norco every four to six hours as needed. Her records reflect that his back pain resolved after his second visit in May 2011, but there was no explanation for the continued use of high-dose opioids she prescribed after the lumbar strain resolved. Then in November 2011, English entered the Betty Ford Center treatment program and he was released the following January. Dr. Mergin prescribed oxycodone, fluxeril, and clonazepam to English just one day after he'd returned from the drug treatment program. Two weeks later, he was found dead at his parents' home in Truckee and the official cause of death, was determined to be multiple drug ingestion. Last September, she pleaded no contest to nine counts of prescribing a controlled substance without a legitimate purpose, two counts of dispensing a controlled substance to an addict, one count of conspiracy, and one count of involuntary manslaughter. California Medical Board records reflect that she was admitted to practice medicine in 1977 and She claimed to have certifications from the American Board of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Her medical license was surrendered in December. And in regulatory news, Insurance Commissioner Dave Jones adopted and issued a revised advisory pure premium rate, lowering the cost for workers' comp insurance effective this July. This is a 16.5% less than the average pure premium rate of $2.42 California insurers filed as of last January. Jones adopted the WCIRB recommendation to lower the advisory pure premium rate mid-year. Mid-year pure premium rate adjustments are not the norm. New data reflecting a significant change in underlying workers' compensation costs is required before the commissioner will issue a mid-year adjustment. His adoption is only advisory, as the commissioner has no rate authority over workers' compensation. The mid-year pure premium advisory rate reduction is based on insurers' cost data indicating workers' comp medical costs were lower in 2016 as a result of SB 863 and other reform laws enacted by the legislature. The WCIRB claims the downward medical loss development is in part driven by continued acceleration in claim settlement, decreasing indemnity claim frequency, and lower-than-projected loss adjustment expenses. The WCIRB will evaluate workers' compensation insurance costs again in the summer and fall of this year when it files its 2018 Pure Premium Rate Benchmark Recommendation, with the Department of Insurance. That filing will provide an opportunity to assess whether medical costs continue to be lower and what changes, if any, there are in other costs in the system. A proposal considered by California lawmakers would substantially remake the healthcare system by eliminating insurance companies and guaranteeing coverage for everyone. After more than two hours of debate, the Senate Health Committee cleared the state's latest attempt at adopting universal health care, despite key concerns as to how to pay for the system. Senate Bill 562 passed the Senate Health Committee 5-1 to one and advanced to the Senate Appropriations Committee to face tough questions about funding a single-payer health care system. The legislation would create a single-payer health care system, provide health insurance to all California residents, and allow state regulators to negotiate drug costs with the pharmaceutical industry. All of this would cost $400 billion, according to a state financial analysis released this week. California would have to find an additional $200 billion per year. That determination makes passage of this proposed law a long shot. Steep costs have derailed efforts over the past two decades to establish such a health care system in California. Employers currently spend between 100 to $150 billion per year on health care, which could be available to help offset total costs. Thus... Total new spending would be between $50 billion and $100 billion per year. Insurance groups, health plans, and Kaiser Permanente are against the bill, and industry representatives say California should focus on improving the Affordable Care Act. Business groups, including the California Chamber of Commerce, have deemed the bill a job killer. And in medical news... The Group of 20 is an informal forum of the world's leading industrialized and newly industrialized countries. It consists of 19 countries plus the European Union. Health ministers of the G20 meeting for the first time agreed to work together to tackle issues such as a growing resistance to antibiotics by implementing national action plans by the end of 2018. Under the World Health Organization's global action plan, national action plans are among the most important measures for minimizing antibiotic resistance. Germany is leading the way and has adopted its own antimicrobial resistance strategy. And Germany, which holds the G20 presidency this year, said it was an important breakthrough that all nations had agreed to address the problem and work towards obligatory prescriptions for antibiotics. The 20 nations also pledged to strengthen health systems and improve their ability to react to pandemics and other health risks. The results of the meeting will feed into a G20 Leaders Summit in Hamburg this July. While the discovery of antibiotics has provided cures for many bacterial infections that had previously been lethal, overprescription has led to the evolution of resistant strains of many bacteria. An EU report last year found that newly resistant strains of bacteria were responsible for more than 25,000 deaths a year in the 28-member block alone. Germany has argued that even having a discussion about it will help raise public awareness about the problem. The G20 also said they agreed to help improve access to affordable medicine in poorer countries. And in other news, a worker advocacy group said the rate of serious injuries at a Tesla factory in California is double the industry average. The United Auto Workers, the industry's largest union in the United States, commissioned the report. The study used Tesla's annual injury logs, known as the OSHA Form 300, that companies are required by law to maintain. The rate of serious injuries, those involving job transfers or missed days, was 7.9 per 100 workers, compared to the industry average of 3.9. The data also found a total incidence rate of 8.8 injuries per 100 workers compared to 6.7 for the industry as a whole. The United Auto Workers has an intense effort underway to organize workers at the Tesla plant in Fremont. And employees backing the union have filed numerous charges with the National Labor Relations Board in Oakland claiming harassment for pro-union activities. Tesla has denied those allegations. In a recent interview, the Tesla CEO Elon Musk acknowledged that employees at his company have been having a hard time working long hours and on hard jobs. But he also insisted he cared deeply about their health and well-being and said the safety record was improving. A former UAW staff member and veteran auto plant organizer said Tesla is in the midst of steady rising production as it builds more vehicles and prepares for the production of its $35,000 Model 3. But when you raise production, that translates into more pressure for workers on the shop floor. Meanwhile, the company is under significant financial duress as losses rose by 40% during the first quarter of this year. However, Musk said that sales and revenues have grown with production, with sales up by about 65% from the first quarter of last year to 25,000 vehicles, while revenue doubled to $2.7 billion. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports, using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Lloyds, Karen, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.